Parent Show, sponsored by Raiden Solicitors, award-winning specialist family lawyers. See RaidenSolicitors.co.uk. A very warm welcome to the Parents Show on Radio Verulam 92.6 FM. I'm Lydia L. Corey. And good evening from me. I am Seema Barker. And we're going to be talking about an issue that really affects us all, not in just in the St. Albans area, but, but all of us globally, really. And it's something that's really come to light in 2020. It's been, it's been a difficult year for lots of reasons for all of us. But actually, 2020 has seen the Black Lives Matter movement receiving a lot of media coverage and a lot of support through protest marches. That includes in our uh, own St. Albans, a demonstration in support of Black Lives Matter took place on the 12th of June 2020 and it was attended by many people including our MP Daisy Cooper. So as parents what we want to be talking about this evening is should we be having conversations with our children about Black Lives Matter and and racism in general? To help us talk about this we are delighted to welcome Sue Schofield and she is the education team manager at the charity Show Racism the Red Card and it's the UK's leading anti-racism education charity. So welcome this evening Sue. Hi, hello everybody. Lovely to have you on, Sue. Yeah, fantastic. And thanks a lot for for, for agreeing to to take us through this, which probably a lot of parents would think is quite a challenging area. Should we be talking to our children? And if we are going to talk to our children about racism and Black Lives Matter, you know, how do we do that? So first of all, Sue, can I just ask you, tell us a little bit about the charity. How is it set up? Yes, so um, we're very proud of the fact that Show Racism, the Red Card, was actually set up almost 25 years ago. So this has been a really important issue to us for a long time. And um, how it came about was in Newcastle, there's a very famous footballer called Shaka Heslop. For the football pundits among you out there, you may recognise him. Um, He's a black footballer and he was very famous in Newcastle. And he went to a local petrol station to fill up his car. And there was a, a bunch of young lads standing nearby and they were, you know, shouting very derogatory, racist remarks at Shaka, um, not realising who he was. And he turned around and approached the lads and they were like, oh, it's Shaka. They wanted to shake his hand. They wanted to ask him for his autograph. And Shaka was like, hold on a minute. Just when you didn't know who I was, you thought it was okay to use that kind of language and say those things to me. But now you just expect me to, you know, shake your hand and and give you um, an autograph. So Shaka, obviously, he didn't do that. And he decided that because of that incident that happened, the best way to deal with children and young people and adults on how to understand the impact of racist behaviour was through education. And um, so he met up with my current boss now, uh, Jed Grebby, and together, through the support of unions, they founded Show Racism the Red Card. Brilliant. And it's such a fantastic organisation, Sue. I mean, it's got got a wonderfully high profile, I'm really glad to say, and it must have even got more, more attention in 2020, unfortunately, for all the wrong reasons. But so the majority of your role models are footballs. But do you talk about racism outside football? 
So what a lot of people don't realise is that there's actually two arms to show racism the red card. We have our campaigning arm, and that is the side that really uses and utilises the high-profile status of footballers. This has become increasingly important given the rise in racism on the terraces. I'm not sure, again, if there are football fans out there, racism used to be a terrible thing at football grounds. And then it kind of disappeared. But then since Brexit and other issues that have occurred within the world outside of football, people have tended to feel more emboldened. So what we do is with with children, um, we get um, groups of schools together and we invite them to go to really high profile football grounds like Newcastle United, Man United, Man City, West Ham. And the children get to go in and they have a tour of the ground. They learn about hate crime and about how to be anti-racist. And then they have a panel of first team footballers and the children can ask the footballers questions about their experience of racism. Now, what we have found is when we do that kind of event with children, they remember the event, they remember the footballers, and then they remember the lessons that they've learned about anti-racism. So that still very much is a big part of what we do. The the side that I manage is the education. So that's where we take things a step further than that. And we go into schools and colleges across the United Kingdom and we deliver our anti-racism workshops to children and young people. And we normally deliver them to over 50,000 children and young people on a yearly basis. Wow, that's that's amazing. I mean, all of that sounds like it would be really powerful. I think what you said, you know, it stays with the children. I'm not surprised because, you know, hearing people that you admire, that maybe you idolise, but, you know, their own stories of having been affected by racism, I can see how that would really be a very powerful tool to to get children to understand something that they, I suppose, might not have very much awareness of as they're quite young. Yeah. So talking of all that, what age do you think is the right one to to talk to children about racism? Well, we come from the premise that if a child is old enough to ask the question, then they're old enough to hear the answer. And obviously that has to be age appropriate. But we work with children as young as eight. Um, We've actually been invited to lots of after school clubs and local community youth clubs and in schools. And round about the age of eight tends to be about the youngest that we will work with. Yeah. And in terms of how do you talk to your children about racism, it's really interesting because there was one big organisation approached us, a well-known organisation, and they had a staff team who wanted to know as parents how could they, they could talk to their children. So part of what I'm going to do tonight is explain all of that. But the one thing I would say to anybody is if your child has asked the question, it's really important that you you try to answer it the best way that you possibly can, no matter what their age is. That is such helpful advice, Sue. You know, it's it's a great guide. If they're old enough to ask the question, they're old enough to hear the answer. That's it's it's brilliant. And what different approaches? I'd love to hear about them. You just mentioned. Do do you have to talking to children about racism? Okay. So when we go into classrooms, all of my education workers, they, they've been teachers in the past. So they understand the classroom. They also understand, you know, the uh, key stages that children are at. We always check out to find out whether there are any children in the classrooms who have any additional needs. 
and in that respect we can sort of temper the workshops to meet everyone's needs so an example that we'll do with the younger children is we get them to think about their own worldview and what we would call unconscious bias so a lovely exercise we do which is really appropriate at the minute was we get them to describe Christmas day so they'll tell us that it's in the winter time it's cold outside it might be snowing people might be sat around the fire and they're all indoors eating Christmas lunch so then we switch it and we'll say okay so can you imagine now if you were a child in Australia, what would Christmas Day look like? And they'll say, oh, well, it'll be summertime. It's warm outside. We might be having a barbecue on the beach. We might be swimming. We might be sunbathing. And what we do is we point out that their description of Christmas is based on their experiences and their lived experience. And for them, that becomes the norm and to understand that, you know, things are different for, for different people around the world. They have to think, well, that's what it looks like from my perspective. But what might it look like from another child's perspective? So that's just an example of something that we'll do with the younger children. And, and then that sets the tone to think about. So why do we think these things? How do we know what we say is the truth or is it just our truth? And, you know, they the love doing exercises like that. Yeah, no, I can I can see how that would really work with younger children. It's such a clever way to kind of get them to access something that is quite complex, actually, isn't it? But actually, it's a really simple approach for them to see how they only understand the world through their own lives. That's wonderful. I love that. And, and what about older children then, Sue? Well, older, older children, obviously, they've had more life experience. And we will we start off with the older children. We will talk about language in particular with older children and the terminology of that language and the history of the language. I'm not going to repeat it today, but there are things like the P word, the C word, the N word. So we have lots of classroom debates around those words and about why it's okay or not okay. We often get pushback from the older children on the N word because they will say, well, Jay-Z uses that word in his singing. And we will we'll talk about why black people felt it was important to reclaim that word. But then we'll say, do you really imagine that Jay-Z goes home and speaks to his wife and speaks to his children and uses that terminology. So again, it gets them to think about, you know, it's really not not acceptable. We also do a, an excellent exercise and it's called the ladder of prejudice or the ladder of hate. It's a very powerful visual exercise where if people think it's okay to say things but don't do anything, you know, that's the start of the beginning of prejudice we have in-groups and we have out-groups. So we start with speech against different groups and then we might avoid those groups of people and exclude them and then that becomes discrimination. And then as, as human beings and individuals, how far do we take that discrimination? And it can go all the way up to genocide, which we saw during World War Two, and which we also saw, you know, in our very recent times in Bosnia. It doesn't take much for something from hate speech to go into all-out genocide if it isn't challenged and questioned along the way and the older children they absolutely get that and I think they really enjoy that they can think about something tangible but then relate it to their own experiences as well. 
That's just fantastic, Sue. I mean, I love the concepts that you're sharing with them, like teaching them about unconscious bias, their own truth, the ladder of prejudice. It's it's just brilliant. And in groups and out groups, because this is this is the biggest problem we have at the world at the moment, isn't it? I mean, we have um, North America is, is so polarized and it is it's all down to language, isn't it? As as you rightly say, and it's about in groups and out groups, splitting people into two different Camps. Brexit did it as well to us in in the UK. Polarized the country. How how are children reacting to it? Do they get the concepts? Do they understand that words matter and that they can lead to things like hate crime and real world harm? Well, yes, they do understand that words matter, and we can often link it to bullying as well. And children are very very aware of the concept of bullying, and schools are. Schools are fantastic. And so what we will say is, you know, if you call somebody a name that's going to be hurtful to them, what, you know, it, what would that feel like? So, again, there isn't time today, but we'll go through the person who is the victim. We'll go through the person who is the instigator and we'll talk about the consequences of those behaviours. And then we also look at the bystander as well. And this is where with the older children, it's about saying, you know, if you see any racist behavior or you hear any racist language, it's not okay just to turn your back on it. If you feel safe, tell a trusted adult, tell a teacher, because it's making you feel uncomfortable. And obviously, it's not right. So we get them to recognize the behaviors and we get them to, you know, try not to ignore them and and to have a conversation with a trusted adult about what they've seen or about what they've heard. That's really interesting, and I think that I that that concept actually of children not being bystanders. I'm I'm I have to say I'm surprised that you're having those conversations, but so glad that you are. You know, there's been a lot of high-profile people that have been talking about that this year, and and John Amici, you know, is at the forefront of that, yeah. and allyship, and and you know the difference between non-racism and anti-racism. But I think that's fabulous that those conversations are happening with children. And and do you do you talk about privilege too? I mean, you know. The reality is, you know, our local areas and Auburn's, it's a pretty affluent area. Does that form any part of your conversations about racism? Because obviously privilege, it, it we all have privilege, but they're different privileges, aren't they? Well, they are different privileges. Now, we didn't really talk about privilege with children. And but we also do a lot of adult training. And we used to talk about white privilege. And you know, for years, we got a lot of pushback. Because, you know, if you're a white working class female, about take myself as an example, you know, I think, well, I didn't have any privileges, you know, I had to fight for everything that mm-hmm. I could get, I had to break through the glass ceiling. But it is about recognising and how we will do this with children, we say, it, it, privilege can be about anything. Now, in today's climate with coronavirus, privilege is having a back garden. Privilege is not living in a 10-storey block of flats. So we can reduce it right down to something, again, that you can see and you can understand. And if we talk about Black Lives Matter and what the difference is, what we would say, what we say is, imagine if you broke your leg and you had to go to the doctor. You would tell the doctor that your right leg was in pain. Now, you wouldn't expect the doctor to look at your left leg and your arms because, yes, all bones matter. But at that moment in time, it's your right leg that matters because that's the one that's damaged and that's the one that needs the attention. Now, I'm aware that I'm using a lot of metaphors to describe what we do, but we can't, you know, these conversations are difficult and it's about getting a hook that you can hook your children on, you know, 
and that's just a way of saying mm. or we have a lovely visual image where we have three children peering over a fence now they're different heights so if they're all peering over the same fence the tallest child can see the medium child can just about see and the smallest child can't see at all so to make that equal you give the small child a box to stand on and then that that's where they're all that they're all coming from the same starting point so we use lots of visuals and lots of metaphors to explain privilege without undermining the hardship or the situations that um, other ethnicities find themselves in. I, I mean, I have to say, I love the idea of using metaphors. And actually, you've, you've kind of put a light on for me because, you know, talking to your children about um, racism and inequality, it's such a tricky one. And Seema and I are both parents. It really matters a lot to us that, that our children understand racism. And, you know, that's why we, we wanted you to come on and, and speak to, to our parents. Yeah. So, so using metaphors, do you think they're good tools for, for us parents to use to help explain it? Because I get myself into not sometimes trying to explain this to my son and daughter. And, you know, I'd love some tips on how best to do it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, metaphors have their place, but obviously they don't replace facts and information. So what I would say to any parents listening out there, you know, it's on the news, it's in your television, it's in your front room. And some families will be having more conversations than others. But really, as a parent, please don't feel disempowered and don't feel that, you know, you don't know. It's okay not to know. And I think if you start from saying to your child, if they're old enough, that's a really good question. Why don't we try and find out together? And use the internet, find sites that have fact-checked information, do some of your own research, look, you know, look at some historical stuff for yourselves. Listen, listen to your child. Is your child feeling emotionally upset? Have they seen something? Are they worried and concerned because it's on the television that it's then going to impact on them so just listen and if it's a a direct factual question then sit down together with your child and type the question you know on into the internet and a trusted site and you know there are lots out there and find out you know what the information is together this is very empowering for your child because they're seeing your pet you know the parent is someone oh they don't know everything but they're listening to me and also take it at the child's pace if the child asks two questions don't try and flood them with information about 10 different facts and figures just stick with those two questions because they'll go away and they'll think about that and they'll digest the information and then they'll come back to you in a week or two's time or maybe even the next day and go oh I was thinking about that can we have a look at some more information so it's about doing it together being open about what you do and also I must stress this parents need to be very aware of their own unconscious bias and that's impacted on their own upbringing, their own environment. What did they learn, you know, when they were growing up? What is their understanding about racism? But I would say if you start with an open mind and learn together, just don't be scared and work at the child's pace. And, and you know, that's a great starting point. I mean, all of that, all of that is such valuable advice. I, I can't tell you how, 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 
grateful I am that we were able to impart this to so many people. I have to say, for me, that idea of don't just flood your child with lots of facts and figures, I think that's something I really have to take to heart because uh, I think if one of my children asks me something that I think is important, I do then bombard them with everything because I think, oh, here's an opportunity. <laughs> yeah. But 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 clearly, you're quite right. Is actually they need they need an opportunity to digest you know, some of that first, and then hopefully it's the beginning of a conversation that you can then continue another time. Now, you've talked about facts, and I and I, so I'm going to bring this on to, you know, the, the horrific tragedy that we had in 2020, which is the death of George Floyd. Is that something that you think, if our children haven't brought up themselves, they haven't raised it, is it something that we should talk to them about anyway? You know, it feels to some of us, it feels like a seminal point, a, a, a turning point Ooh. almost in race relations. Like I said, globally, I mean, it, you know, it really did have a ripple effect across the world. What do you think about that one, Sue? Yeah, I think if the child hasn't raised it and if you or you're watching your child and your child's behaviour hasn't changed in any way, I might start a conversation with an older child and say, what do you think about what's been happening? Is this something you want to talk about? So again, that would be led by the child. If you observe that your child's become a little bit withdrawn, they're feeling distressed, they're not sleeping well. Um, it could be all of this news that, the, as I say, it's on the television, it's in their living rooms, it might even be in their bedrooms. And it's about the parent understanding their own child's behaviour. But if a child asks you about George Floyd, you know, just offer a simple explanation. For instance, a police officer hurt a black man named George Floyd and he died. That is the fact. That's all the child needs to know. They don't need to know, you know, what the run up to it was. They don't even need to know about the video, which is terrible. As adults, they can find that out later on for themselves. Ask your child, you know, and I have to say as well, the parents who are listening there will be white families on here there will be families who consider themselves to be family of color there'll be families who are asian there'll be families who are from indian heritage african heritage and believe you me the conversations in those houses will be very very different so some children will be very aware of race and they will know how to have the conversations. But I'm, I'm guessing in the majority of families, it's quite a scary thing. But I'm going to come back to saying, don't avoid talking about it. Again, you know, racism and violence are things that we are reluctant to talk about because we want to protect our children. And I come back to saying, if the child has asked the question, it means they're thinking about it. They're mulling it over in their own heads. It might have taken them weeks to find the courage to ask you the question. So be armed and be prepared, you know, be calm and be factual. And as I've said, validate their feelings and acknowledge it is a painful time. And but, you know, there's lots of positives going on as well. And, and it comes back to the research and keep encouraging them to ask questions and, you know, find the information together. Sorry, I feel like I'm talking quite a lot here. Oh, I'm scribbling notes the whole time, Sue. It's brilliant. Keep going. Thank you. I think one of the really important things about racism as well is, again, it's, it's, a, it's a very short strap line, but it's really important. There is only one race in this world, and that is the human race. And 
we're all human beings at the end of the day. We all want the same things. We want to be loved. We want to be nurtured. We want to have a roof over our heads. We want warmth. We want hope. So everything else is ethnicity. So, you know, our skin color might be different. Our nationality might be different. Our religion and our cultures might be different, as I described with the Christmas Day scenario. But we're all part of the human race. And that's how we need to start seeing each other and, and treating each other with that care and respect. I love it. Indeed. One one race there is indeed, Sue. And I'm wondering, like, if you have a teen at home who is, who gets it, who wants to do something about it, go in a march with the pandemic going on, how do you channel that energy? What, what do you say to in, in a situation like that? Because it's a bit tricky with social distancing. It is tricky, but I, I would say, you know, I would be absolutely delighted because it means that they're starting to develop a social conscience. They're probably starting to think about the values that you raised them with and they're formulating who they are in their own minds. I'm going to assume that we're talking about teenagers here, you know, younger, older teenagers. So they're going into that adult phase. They're assimilating everything that you've taught them, everything that feels right. And if they've got themselves angry or upset or they just want to do something, first of all, well done, because you've raised a really well-rounded child who's curious about the world around them. It's important to talk about the difference between a protest, which is peaceful. A protest is where people use their words, they might talk, they might sing, show signs, for example, taking the knee, that is a peaceful protest. It's when things tip into violence, that's when we become worried and when we become concerned. My advice would be to talk about what's good about protesting, but to sit down with your child and look at the dangers. If you go to this place, I remember talking to my child when she was a student at university, they were campaigning against university fees, and they were on a march in Manchester, and police turned up on horses, which is, you know, I know that that's what they will use to do that. And I was immediately ringing my daughter and saying, be careful that you don't get kettled into a corner. So it's things like stay at the back of the protest, stay on the edges, don't get stuck in the middle, try and walk beside a police officer if you can. How will you get home quickly? How will you sense that things are changing from being a peaceful protest to potentially turning violent? So again, I wouldn't discourage it because they might go anyway behind your back, but I would certainly have a risk assessment conversation. How are they going to keep themselves safe and how will you as their parent ensure that you can make them as safe as possible? Yeah, I think I think that's a it's a particular style of parenting, isn't it? Which is accepting that, you know, you can't really say no at a particular age because they might just do it behind your back. And and really what you want to do is be able to support them, even if you don't agree with that. But I think I think that's um I think that's really valuable advice. Can I just start as well? Can, if you can go with them, yeah. go with them. <laughs> yeah, sorry about yeah. that. I mean again, it depends on the relationship you've got with your teenager. But if one parent from a group of four or five, and again, there's always you know the safety in numbers. Yeah. Um, if one parent from a group of four or five can go to get, you know, if you can be somewhere within mm. half an hour, again, just use your common sense. But bear in mind that the, the thing that we're talking about here is what they've seen and what they've heard and why they want to be part of a movement. And and I think that's to be encouraged rather than discouraged. 
Yeah. And hopefully with, with, you know, hopefully with the vaccine and everything that actually there's going to be far less conflict between the pandemic and and any kind of movement and marches and everything in the future. So that is something that um, parents will have to think far less about in the future. Um, You did mention before, Sue, you mentioned about how some children might be from a particular race or cultural heritage, and therefore they might have their own experience of this. So can you just give us some quick tips on, you know, how would we have a different approach, perhaps, depending on the cultural heritage so of our children, if we were going to start that conversation, I suppose? Well, uh, what I will say is I have learned to do my job. I do meet a lot of professionals and I meet a lot of black parents who have challenged me and said to me, I bet you've never had to have a conversation with your child about being subject to racism. And I, and I haven't. And I was quite shocked to learn that parents have these conversations with their children when they go to school and when they reach about the age of eight or nine, they're preparing their children all the time, which I think is, is shocking and it's so sad as well. So I do. it is about the level of conversations that have been taking place. Sorry, I'm not, I don't know if I'm quite, you know, I do think that conversations in families with people of colour take place a lot more frequently than they do in in white families so I think they're starting from a different starting point because sadly those parents have been preparing themselves to have those conversations from day one and it it is a sad state of affairs that they have to do that and that it's you know a part of parenting if you're um you're a black parent it really is and and I'm sure it applies to Asian parents too yeah yeah it's it's a sorry state of affairs I'm so glad to know you go into school Sue and that the, the kind of training that you describes happens in schools are you are you able to continue that during the lockdown and during the pandemic how is your work being able to go ahead yeah well it's it's been difficult I have to say because I made the decision that we would wait until after the half term holidays because with schools being on lockdown and going back sort of in September I was thinking they would need a little bit of time to settle down and get used to all the new health and safety things that they need to do and we did have a few schools booked in, but then we approached the second lockdown. So <laughs> um, schools are definitely wanting us in. They have, I'm sure you all know, all the parents out there and teachers, you have a PSHE curriculum. And, you know, one part of the curriculum is about understanding the freedom that other faiths and beliefs have and that they're protected by law. Now, whilst that is not compulsory, a lot of schools do approach us and say, We really want to do this, but we're a little bit anxious. We don't know how to deal with questions from the children. So what we do now is we will do an interactive hours workshop. So we send a pack of teachers notes out and we say, right, after five minutes, we're going to do this exercise. After 10 minutes, we're going to do that exercise. We have fact sheets around terminology and language and frequently asked questions. So the schools get, you know, we're there when they want us to go in, we're definitely there. And, you know, people can go onto our website and find out how to book a session. We do a lot of teacher training as well. So we've got an online teacher training course, which is four modules, which has been um, endorsed by the NEU. And that has given teachers a lot of confidence on dealing with these conversations in the classrooms. 
And what I did, and I'm really happy to send you the link. I'm not sure how, how you might get this out to everyone. I got some funding. Oh, no, we will be able to. All right, then. I got some funding during lockdown. And my, my team devised some really accessible activities. So they're activities that you can download and you can either do them in the classroom or you can do them at home. They're aimed at primary school children. And we do look at... All of the things that I've talked about today, but we also do things about, you know, the, the Gypsy Roma traveling community, because a lot of people don't understand that they suffer from a lot of racism as well. And we look at culture and we look at religion and we look at language and how to have the conversations. So they're, they're easy to access and they're easy to understand. So there's fact sheets, there's exercises, and then there's a little quiz and parents can learn for themselves. And the, again, they can do that exercise with their children. And we've made them available free to anybody who wants them. So that's something that we send out to schools as well. But we're definitely here. And when schools are ready, we are ready to go in. I mean, that's great news. And, you know, that kind of activity resource that you're talking about, that's really helpful, isn't it? Because, you know, we will definitely get that on our Facebook page so that our listeners can access that if we can get that from you, Sue. And I think that just brings me really to the final question that I wanted to ask you, which was there has actually been a lot of stuff about racism out there for adults to, you know, to access. There's been a lot of literature, which is great, you know, books that perhaps have been written over the last few years that have been in you know in the in the in the top 10 is there anything in particular that you think might be helpful for a parent to read either to just access the whole idea because yeah. we, we might have some listeners which say look I don't really feel that I know anything about any of this the, the resource the activities that's great but you know and all of the helpful tips on having that conversation but I want to learn more for myself is there anything that you might recommend well again if you go onto this the site with all the activities and um, we do have a reading list there we have a reading list that was compiled through the Stephen Lawrence Foundation. I'm just looking to see what other books we use and I can't find my list. <laughs> oh no, that's fine. Really we can, we can know. But the, the, and there's lots of books being written by black authors as well, which, you know, that's, there's been a, a surge of those in the last couple of years. But there, there are, there's books about um, like something else or The Wrong Dragon. They're quite easy to find online, uh, but we do have a recommended book reading list as well, which, which you will find on that activity side of the uh, website. Oh, that's fantastic. Honestly, please, please don't apologise. I, I can't <laughs> tell you how much helpful information you've given to to our listeners and to Lydia and I but I think on a subject that perhaps you feel that you are totally enveloped in so it kind of just rolls off the tongue but for a lot of us it's it's a much more tricky thing to do so the advice that you've given has just been it's so invaluable and I think it's going to make all of these conversations a lot easier for our listeners so thank you so much for joining us this evening Sue it's been it's been wonderful to to hear everything you're doing and the very best of luck for two show, show races in the red card with all of the good work that they do well thank you for inviting me and do you know if, if anybody is is worried or has any questions please just send it send us a little email at info at the red and um, we we deal with lots of inquiries and we're really happy to help anybody out we don't deal with issues where people have got complaints or you know they're, they're victims but if it's how to have a conversation with your child you know we're more than happy to support with that so thank you Thanks a million, Sue. And just to say one, I hope funding is okay for you in these hard times. But I saw on the um, your website, there's a donate button. So yeah. that's one great thing parents could do is to uh, 
maybe donate a few pounds there if the pandemic hasn't affected you too badly. That would be amazing. Thank you so much. And honestly, it's been a pleasure to come on and talk about our work. Thank you. All our pleasures. You please keep up the good work. Bye-bye. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Hello and a really warm welcome to The Parents Show on Radio Verulam 92.6 FM. I'm Lydia Elcourie. And good evening, everybody. I am Seema Barker. And we have had a really interesting conversation already with the organisation show Racism, the Red Card. And now we want to continue that theme, really, of, of talking about the idea of racial equality and racism with younger people. And so I am delighted to welcome Mr. Ganain, Head of Music at Beaumont Secondary School in St. Albans, and also Max Abimbola, a Year 13 student at the Sixth Form of Beaumont. And they're here to talk to us about these issues and also really how we talk about issues of racism and, and racial equality within schools and especially with younger people. So welcome to the show, both of you. Hello. Hello. Thanks a lot for coming on this evening. It's great to talk to you. So Max, if I can come to you first... Why don't you tell me, first of all, actually a little bit about what, what are you studying at uh, year, in year 13 at Beaumont? Oh, yeah, sure. So, yeah, I'm in year 13, as you said, so final year. Um, I'm studying maths, chemistry and computer science. Uh, and yeah, yeah, um, yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm studying. It's, 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 it's obviously uh, must be a tricky time for you right now. I'm going to really try to hold Lydia off from asking you about how you're dealing with, with school right now and everything, because we're, we're always talking about that on, on the parent show, because it is obviously a really interesting subject. But tonight, what we really want to ask you is about, you know, the, the tragedy of George Floyd's death last year mm. and how much talk there has been about racism and really what your experiences have been with your friends and and Mm. how those conversations have have kind of worked out for you so perhaps you can tell us about your cultural heritage and then whether or not you've had any conversations with any of your friends yeah sure um so i mean i'm black british both my parents are from nigeria uh and they're educated in uk so i think that makes me first generation since i was born in the uk but yeah, I've had plenty of conversations with friends, um, non-friends, people I barely know, that you know, that kind of thing. Mainly people wanting to do more and just, you know, expressing their support, saying, you know, I always support you, you know, that kind of thing. People posting online. But then unfortunately, obviously, you get those people that chose to argue with me about certain topics. Um, and I've even had to have conversations about some with some of my friends about, you know, things like saying the N-word, for, for example, and, you know, why that's not okay. But, you know, my philosophy is, like, if you... I don't like completely, like, shunning people as soon as they come out with things like this. I don't like saying as soon as I find out that they've been saying, you know, the N-word or like that, especially if they're my friends. I want to first talk with them about why they think it's okay and try and educate them. Because if I don't try, then it's like, you know, what's that going to happen once I stop being friends with them? But if I actually try and then they understand then I feel like I'm better for it. I'm really doing what I believe is the right thing because it's more important to educate people than completely just cast them out from society. But if I then educate them and they don't believe it and they don't think it's like they still think it's right, then that's when I think it's okay to just, you know, get rid of them. But yeah, so those are the conversations I've had to have really. It sounds great, Max, that you're trying to keep people on the inside because mm. I think that is a lot of the problem at the yeah. moment is that everybody's in their bubble and they're not talking across bubbles. So what you're doing and your approach sounds really, really mature. I bet it's tricky at times. Yeah, it is. And are there any 
conversations that are too difficult to have with friends or people you know at school? Oh, um, it's mainly, I mean, I usually if those conversations come up, I just choose not to go into them because they feel, you know, a bit too personal or a bit too just, they'll just get me too angry really. And I won't be able to have a good conversation. It won't be a discussion. It'll be an argument, realistically. It'll just be an argument. We'll just be shouting at each other. Something will get upset. It's just that kind of thing. But the more difficult ones are, you know, having conversations with people that believe the protests were just riots. They were just angry, you know, people going about kicking stuff, you know, graffiti, pulling down statues, that kind of thing. Even though, I mean, statistically, 93% of all the protests were peaceful. So a very small percentage are turned out violent at all. And even more, I think the most difficult conversations have been with other black people who don't believe these issues are either a thing or don't think they're as bad as they are. Because that really hurts. Because it's like, we're on, we're on the same team here. Like, you, you know what I mean? It's just, it's just difficult to have those conversations with people who should get it, but don't. And then trying to convince them is even worse because this, for whatever reason, they haven't experienced these things. So they don't think these things are as real and they've been brainwashed into thinking that these issues aren't just issues and they're just kind of noise really and the media and fake news all these kind of buzzwords so you know yeah that's mm. the most difficult conversations about to have yeah they they are really difficult conversations I know that one of the conversations I had with somebody that I know quite well I was quite surprised said that she felt that the only reason that people were going out to protest was because they were bored because mm. of lockdown and I was so shocked I actually didn't know how to respond to that I couldn't mm. find the words at the time mm. because she was one of my friends she is one of mm. my friends and I don't know if you found yourself in that situation where perhaps somebody that you know quite well mm. has said something and you're not really sure how to deal with that because you it's unexpected mm, absolutely and you think you just assume that because they're your friend that they get it right they share the same views as you but people keep these kinds of issues very quiet very very quiet and they don't really tend to you know express you know their opinions on these things for fear that they'll get cancelled or whatever but once they do come out it's just it becomes it's a bit shocking especially when it's something that completely opposes what you believe in but again it's important to just try and understand why they feel that way and try and understand them and that kind of thing but if they don't then yeah it's just time to lock it off really um and not continue being friends with them but yeah it does it does get like that a lot of times and when when we're talking about trying to get through to people, mm. do you think there are any particular, do you have any thoughts on how we can get through to some of, you know, the younger people, especially around St Albans, which is an affluent area, about the realities of racism, which they mm. might just not have any, like you say, they're just, there's just not a, an understanding at all. How do we build that bridge for them? I feel like it mainly starts with you know, representation in schools and like contact really. Because racism, and it's a known fact that racism doesn't really stand well against contact. If you've got black friends that you're very close with, it's very difficult to have those warring ideals about, you know, black people being this other or people of color being this other. And also, you know, this is my friend, like they're just regular people. So representation definitely matter. And also like, as you know, Mr. Ghanem was said, like teachers, like having people that you look up to that are also look like you and can support you and understand the issues that you might be facing. Uh, that's really important, especially in affluent areas like St. Albans, because, you know, what majority of the time that I've been growing up, all my teachers have been white and most of my friends have been white. Bar, you know, about, I have more black friends now, but that's because of, you know, social media, being able to meet more people, that kind of thing. But before that, it was all, you know, that's all I saw, really. So 
yeah, I feel like that's the most important thing, representation and contacts, being able to see people that are like you. And Max, what do you think about speaking to young people about George Floyd's death or or about racism? Mm-hmm. Do you think it, do you think it's possible? Do you think it's important? I feel like, well, I don't think anybody should really talk for other people's children, right? Because the parent knows the child best. So you should really talk to your child at their level. You're not going to talk about to a two-year-old about how some black man has been shot. I mean, it's just not, you know, it will more traumatize them more than anything. And just, you know, I, but, you know, at least for my mom, I mean, I know that she, you know, she drip fed it to me quite slowly, you know, as I grew up, you know, she said to me, you know, Max, sometimes they're going to be people that be people that just don't like you because of the way you look. Um, That was the baseline. And then it slowly, you know, but the main thing is for parents is you cannot wait too long to do these things. Like it has to be fairly early that you start, you know, teaching your kids this because the re- main reason why my mum started talking to me about racism, not the main reason, obviously she would have done it anyway, but it was because unfortunately I was ex- like exposed to it at quite an early age, right? I've had some incidents in primary school when I was younger, people calling me brownie or whatever, you know, so, you know, it's important that you teach the kids this before the world does because the world is unforgiving, right? So it's not going to explain it in a very nice way. And, you know, you know, I just... Yeah, it's just important that you teach the kids before the world does, especially now because of the internet. There's a lot of stuff you can find very easily and you can, you can really confuse children and send them down the wrong path. So, you know, it's very important that parents talk to their children at their level um, and they do it early. Yeah, basically. That great advice for parents, Max. Thank you. And yeah, that is that is great advice. And I'm just thinking in terms of those conversations that your mum was having with you, that was more of a perhaps getting you prepared prepped Mm. for something that you might have to deal with Mm. if if we have parents of children that aren't going to suffer racism because of the color of their skin do you Mm. think it's important for for them to have those conversations with with you know with their parents at a young age as well or is it is it less important what's the message for for those young children who don't need to be prepped yeah i feel like that's you know i feel like that's the most important really the conversations you need to be having because you need to teach kids that basically being different isn't wrong. It's just that people are different, but they're still people, you know? So it's mainly that message that being different is okay and these people are still the same as you. I mean, I remember like some poor girl in Tesco's a while ago. It was, I must've been quite like young, maybe 10 or 11, but um, she was with her mom. She was white. And then she looks up at her mom and she looks at me and my mom uh, Tesco, and goes, oh, mommy, why do people turn black? completely innocent because she's clearly never you know ex- like seen black people before she's just a, you know but the mom got really you know stressed I mean my mom was laughing you know it's okay it's okay it's okay but it's just like kids are like we know that kids aren't racist but it's just something that's taught so it's just important to let the kids know that it's okay to be different like I'm sure that mom afterwards was like yeah you know some people just look like that and that's okay you know so yeah, I feel like that's the message. That's the message really. Yeah. Yeah, no that's 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 a really important point you're quite right to to always hammer home that to parents which is of course, you know, children just need to have an understanding of it as opposed to thinking there's anything complex there. And and are you still having to deal with racism in your life currently, Max, you know, regularly or or is it quite is it less frequent now? Um obviously it's lockdown, so I'm I'm not really, you know, outside a lot, so it's but unfortunately, I have done in the past on some, you know, rare occasions. I do live in a, I'm very lucky to live in this area though. 
So it's it doesn't happen as often as it would do if I was say in some areas of London. But when I do go to London, when I did go to London Roller to see my dad, I would have some instances where people would be calling me, you know, the N word off the, you know, on the street or just like people in stores getting, you know, paying extra attention to me, you know, being extra, you know, are you okay? You know, you are you gonna pay that kind of thing? But you know, it, I'm just, I'm, I'm very lucky to not, never been stop search. So it's just, it's uh, not really, but it does. When it does happen, you know, it happens, and it still affects me and affects the way I, you know, view the world and view people. Unfortunately, but I'm, I'm very lucky. Yeah, that that makes it makes a lot of sense, Max. And I suppose as as a St Albans resident, I'm I'm delighted that you very few issues mm. here. You know, and at the same time kind of baffled how it is an issue and how we're even talking about it mm. in this day and age. Mm. But I, I'd like to quickly move on to speaking to Mr. Ganane, who is the head of music at Beaumont School. We'll come back to you if we can at, at the very end of the interview, Max. We're really interested to hear Mr. Ganane. Very welcome uh, on the parents show this evening. Thank you. We'd like to know how and why you got involved in Black History Month. Tell us about how you got there. So essentially, it was about uh, February of 2020, and there was a call went out for people who might like to deliver an assembly. And I'd always had in the back of my mind, oh, I think I should do an assembly. And I was looking for a subject. And there was a list of things that school wanted to address. And one of those was Black History Month. And that was just something that piques my interest, if you will. I originally thought I could talk about music as the head of music and somebody who really loves black music. And we study lots of black music on the curriculum. That was my original my original thoughts. And I had this word representation, which Max has talked about in my head. And I didn't really know where I was going to go with it. And then obviously the pandemic hit um, and Black Lives Matter sort of exploded and became huge. And then I realised instead of doing an assembly, I'd have to make a video. So I started to really think because I just I just wanted to do something that was you know meaningful and important and reflected the reality in which we were living. So I just started talking to people like Max and former students and various people in the community. And really, I would say the assembly was sort of shaped by them. You know, Max's input was especially valuable um, as a kind of sounding board for my ideas, really. Uh, that, that's that's fantastic that you were able to, um, you know, talk to students and they were really helpful in that respect. You also referred to, in your talk, you referred to, you talked to two black former students and then you referred to the website for Black History Month. So you said that was a good place to start. What can young people learn from that website? Yeah, I do think it's a really good website. Um, it has a real focus on sort of British history and British figures, which I think is really important for young people living in this country. Obviously, lots of the media coverage is a bit more global, a bit more America focused. And, you know, that's really useful. Um, I think it's the kind of it's such a huge website and there's so many different strands to it. It's something that you really need to find your way around and look at whether it's sport or music that kind of interests you. I would probably say in truth, the more I worked on the assembly and the more I spoke to people, it became really apparent to me that Black History Month could also be about role models much closer to home. So rather than, uh, you know, a huge celebrity or someone really famous, you know, the value of a teacher or a colleague or a friend who was a kind of real inspiration rather than a famous person, as they can sometimes seem, seem a little bit detached from reality. So that's why I kind of focused my assembly on on people who'd been to Beaumont and who were students, just like the people who were would watch the assembly, I suppose. It makes sense that when it's right right on your doorstep, and and I think Max said it 
really nicely you know you it's very hard to be racist when you you're kind of it's right in front of you and you know somebody who who can just dispel all the stereotypes and myths and and things that are said can I ask you about a conversation you had with a former student, a student about a career in the arts, and mm-hmm. she talked to you about her doubts and the lack of representation and role models for young people, particularly from ethnic minorities. So I wonder, is, is there any way parents can bridge the gap in in that in that void? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've got two young children, um, and I think as part of this work and and everything that I've learned, we've really made the effort to look for more diverse characters in books and toys and stuff like that. I mean, my children are both under four, um, and there's so much stuff that we've found, some really fantastic books that have just got people who aren't your sort of white male protagonist or your white male hero. So we've tried to really diversify the things that we expose our children to, both in terms of race and gender and it's very different to maybe what I would have seen growing up just because of the availability of these things. Um, I think even broader than that we sort of need to just challenge our own perceptions of of what people can and and can't do. So one of the people I spoke to, uh, Joe, who became an actor, he said his mum was probably the most sceptical about his choice to go into that field and it absolutely came from a place of sort of love and protection and, and wanting to do the best by her son. But because she didn't see people who looked like them going into the arts, she was almost like the block for a while until, you know, they were able to talk through it and stuff like that. So I think as parents, we just need to be really reflective, open to, I guess, new ideas and and things that we might not necessarily have seen growing up. And yeah, challenge what might be our sort of gut reaction where we can, I suppose. And and have you got any tips? I mean, I think that's great advice for parents, but have you got any other tips on how... If if there aren't those role models available in particular industries that our children might want to go into, to to instill the kind of confidence and strength of character that young people might need so that they're not put off from going into a particular industry. Yeah, I think it's really hard. I did talk about this in my assembly. So Gabby, who I spoke to, she went into professional sound and she did it despite the fact that there were no black people in any theatre programs or anything like that that she saw. So she was she was a trailblazer. She, you know, she did it despite, you know, against the odds, if you will. But, you know, if she was white, she wouldn't have had to have had that sort of strength of character and defy the odds. So I, I don't really know the solution. I guess part of it was me wanting to celebrate those students from Beaumont rather than celebrities to show, you know, ordinary, if you will, even though I think Max and Joe and Gabby are pretty extraordinary people, you know, that those ordinary people can sort of change perceptions and, and do that. So they're sort of seeing role models are closer to home, a bit more like like them, I suppose. And and I think that's a fantastically positive note to end the interview on with you, Max and Mr. Ganane. It's been fantastic speaking to you, inspirational to hear both of you take this subject so seriously and be so proactive and help us as parents do the best we we can do to try and and get rid of racism in our society so thank you very much for joining us on the parents show my pleasure absolutely thank you